Well, I'm excited to continue on in our study called Joyful, which is a look at the book of Philippians. And now, kids, I know most of you haven't been around through this, uh, but I want you to do your best to try to pay attention. I'm not as exciting uh, as it is up in Kidsmen. And so if you remember from last family service, I always like to challenge you to see what you can learn during the sermon. And so if you want, you can either take a piece of paper out from somewhere in front of you or at the back, there's a whole bunch of crayons and papers. And if you can draw or write down something you learned, we'll put you into a little draw for a prize next week in Sunday school. Adults, I know that that feels cheap because I encourage you to write notes every week again. And so if you put yours in, we'll put you in a draw and we'll let you know in the Thursday newsletter uh, if you won. And so if you want to give that to me at the end of the sermon, I'm going to be standing out in the front entrance. And if you have come and find me and show me your sermon notes, I'll take a picture, adults, so you can keep them. And kids, I'm going to keep your pictures and the winners will get something next week. And for visitors, come back next week. You might win. You never know. But today, we're, as we're continuing on in this look at the book of Philippians, uh, we're going to come to this point where we see that Paul addresses one of the biggest thieves of our joy and our feeling full and content in life. And that thief is a thing called anxiety. Anxiety, it plagues us all. And, you know, for you kids, anxiety is when you have a feeling of worry or uncertainty and you just don't know what to do with it. In the New Testament, we have this word for anxiety that comes from a word that means to be pulled apart in different directions. There's this picture that we're like, tied up to two horses and we're being pulled by this horse this direction and we're being pulled by that horse that direction and it's kind of tearing us apart. We've all felt this in some sort of way, haven't we? Where we just feel sort of uncertain and worried and maybe on one hand we feel that we shouldn't feel this way and we know that it's not right and that maybe there is some certainty, some hope, but at the same time, we just get all torn up over and over again. Well, interestingly, not only does the Bible teach about this a couple thousand years ago, but scientists have been rewriting this as they've studied it year after year again. In fact, one of the guys who wrote one of the most formative books on anxiety, a guy named Dr. Fritz Ryman, said that every person will experience two types of conflicting needs in their life, and each one of those conflicting needs comes with its own fear or anxiety. And so we have one thing that we're pulled towards in our life, while there's some type of fear associated with it. There's all sorts of examples that I can think of. Perhaps this week is a silly little example, but I needed to rearrange some books on my shelves in my office, and so I climbed up onto my office chair to reach on the top shelf. Now I got one of those 
wheelie chairs that I love to zoom around my office with, and it spins and it tips, and as I was standing on it, I had to reach this book that had fallen over, and it was just a little bit further than I should have reached, and I felt the chair dip. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to go through this Ikea table, and I am going to be the laughingstock of the office, right? But on one hand, what I did is I put my trust in a chair to help me reach my goal, and so my need was being met, but at the same time, there was this fear that was at play inside of me. We feel this in all sorts of other ways, right? We feel it perhaps... Uh, When we're in a relationship with somebody and we want to pursue after them, but we know that taking that big step might mean that we face rejection. We feel this when we are considering what career we're going into or perhaps we're in mid-career and we're thinking about changing our offices And we go, well, I think this could be a good thing, and I'm hopeful maybe for a bigger paycheck or a new job environment that's going to be better, but ah, what if it's not? What if it's worse? Others of us who have kids and grandkids, we we know what it's like to have anxiety because we want the best for them, but we just know that there's so much going against them in the world, and so we have these fears about, like, What's going to be my child's life? Like, how do I help them through this? And I got to let them kind of learn this thing on their own. But if I let them learn that on their own, ah, something bad could come up again. This can happen in all sorts of ways. The list could go on and on of all the things that we could have that bring us anxiety. So the question is, what do we do with that? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the early church, wanted to address this. You see, as we've been going through the book of Philippians, we've seen that time and time again, Paul is saying, I want you to live differently as followers of Jesus. I want you to go out with the attitude and mindset and energy of Jesus, and I want you to make a difference in the world, and I want you to bring people alongside of you, and I want you to be reminded that you're heaven-sent and you're trying to help bring people into relationship with God. But Paul wasn't ignorant. He wasn't just like, and by the way, you might experience some anxiety, so deal with it. No, Paul knew that anxiety would rise up, and I mean, he's gone through so much in his missionary journeys of shipwrecks and being imprisoned where he was when he wrote this letter to all sorts of other things that would take place. And so he wanted to remind the people of the church that they need to do something. They need to do something in light of what God has already done, and they need to do something in light of the anxiety that they might face. And so we're going to read what Paul's answer is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 48. It'll be on the screen or pull out your Bible. Here we see Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice so that the God of peace will be with you. So as Paul writes to the church, he, he's, he's a bit of a realist. I mean, he's gone through hardships, and it's hard to remember that sometimes. If we study the Bible, we just look at Paul, and we're like, wow, this guy's so incredible. He has this drive. Well, surely he must have understood what it meant to be anxious. He had left his life of being this great sought-after teacher who was known for being zealous and, and imprisoning Christians and he persecuted Christians. And then suddenly, because of what God had done in his life, he had to turn away from that. I'm sure the anxiety and the stress of what he'd done and the weight of that must have preyed upon his mind to leave this place of sort of creme de la creme status to become one of them, those people, those Jesus followers who go after what God wants but face so much persecution. Man, he had to know. This was, this was anxiety-inducing. But he'd found this answer in prayer and gratitude. And he wants to relay that to them. So he says, rejoice. But not only once, he says it twice. Rejoice. Find joy in what God has done. This word rejoice actually comes from the Greek word charis, which is tied to the word that we would use as grace, or to receive something that is unearned and undeserved. So celebrate the things that you have received that are unearned and undeserved. Remember, Paul's just said this, if you were with us last week, after he talked about heaven and the relationship that we can have with God. He said, there's so much to be thankful for, so celebrate it. Celebrate what God has done. And then when you face anxiety, you come back to him. And with all those prayers, with all the petitions, the list of things you want to bring to him, that shopping list of things that's on your mind, of those things that are weighing you down, of those concerns you have time and time again, as you bring those things to him, do it with thanksgiving. And as you're thankful, as you express your gratitude to him, what God will do is he will give you peace that transcends, it goes far beyond what you can have make sense in your own head. And it'll guard your heart and your mind. God doesn't want us to be pulled apart in our lives. He wants to ease our anxiety when we're trying to follow him. It's not to say that it'll never come up. Paul's not saying, hey, you're going to become a Christian and all your problems are going to go away or everything's going to work out so you have nothing to be anxious about. No, Paul's realistic. He knows we're people. He knows trials and troubles are going to come because even Jesus himself said that. And so he says, when those things come, come back to God time and time again. Do not be anxious about anything. In every situation, in every situation, 
with your prayers and petitions, with your thanksgiving, bring those things to him. Whenever I think of this idea of God bringing peace, I, of course, think about Christmas, and it's the entering for us towards the Christmas season. Some people, I know you're not there yet. My house is decorated, minus the tree, but I get excited early. Uh, I get fired up. But when we think about that, we, we think, right, the Prince of Peace, right? That's in some of the songs, the Christmas carols that we sing. And, and that's more than just a title. It's a message from heaven. God wants to bring you peace. He wants to give you a sense of being put together again. Interestingly, this word peace in the Greek is the opposite of anxiety. Where anxiety is pulling us apart, peace is putting things back together again. And so it says that as you feel pulled apart, perhaps by your needs, perhaps by your desires, perhaps by your fears, perhaps by the sense of uncertainty and unknown, what God wants to do as you pray about those things, as you show gratitude towards what he has done, he wants to put things back together again. And so no matter what you're going through, even if it's difficult and there's suffering, he wants to allow you to have this sense of wholeness that might just not make sense. You know, over the last number of years, I have found this to be true because I've experienced lots of different anxiety over the last number of years. I can think about last year, I spent 17 weeks of the year sick. COVID a couple times, RSV, the flu, I got it all. And that brought in anxiety. I experienced some burnout of what we're going through just personally and as a church. And I just remember just feeling so much stress. I, like everyone else, I'm not immune to mortgage rates rising and difficulties in relationships. And so there have been lots of times where I felt this anxiety and this stress. And there's been lots of times where I have failed to remember what Paul said. Because it's easier to complain. <laughs> it's easier to think about the things that are going wrong and get caught up in them. But the good gift of what God has said here has rung true when I've listened to it. I've thankfully been reminded by people and by scripture a number of times over the last couple of years that I need to not just bring my junk to people or just all my prayers and petitions to God, but I also need to bring my gratitude and my thankfulness. And when I've managed to rise to that call that God has given me, I do manage to find some peace and rest. Now, for every one of us, that sense of wholeness is going to look a little bit different. But for me, what it's looked like is sometimes it's in, in certain situations where I just feel insecure and I'm not sure where to go or what to do. I just feel this sense of security. As I pray with thankfulness to God for what he's done, I'm reminded about how he's at work. I'm reminded about how he often goes ahead of me 
And as he goes ahead of me, he's working. And so I'm just catching up. And I'm reminded of that, not in a way that I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Like it's not always this intellectual ascent. It's this, this sense of knowing that I can be safe in that place even though everything else feels like it's coming undone. There's other moments where I have found that there's just a million things flying through my head, whether it's worries or stresses or tasks to be done or people to message or whatever it is, and it just feels like it's not going to stop and it's difficult to sleep or maybe it's just causing me to derail in the middle of the day. And what God has done when I've come to him in prayer, particularly when I've done so with thankfulness, is that it's been able to just stop the madness inside of my head. It's not that it goes away forever, but God just gives me the sense of his presence and his purpose and what he is doing is happening, even if I can't see it. There's been other times where this has come in a way where I'm able to forgive someone who perhaps I wouldn't have been able to forgive on my own. But thankfulness to God for the forgiveness he's given me has extended in me being able to forgive others. When Paul says that the peace of God comes through prayer and thankfulness, he's prescribing us an antidote one of the antidotes to our anxiety. Now, of course, there's all sorts of reasons to see good Christian counselors and therapists and doctors to help us through all sorts of other things. There's a place for that, and it's not to say that this is going to work in all situations because we live in a broken world with broken body chemistry and all this kind of thing, but there is a place for this, and it has been proven time and time again. This was written almost 2,000 years ago, and what I find funny is that still to this day, science is proving this. Just two years ago, Harvard commissioned a massive study. Actually, they commissioned it a number of years before. Two years ago, the results of the study came in. And they tracked thousands of people for a number of years and watched what would happen when gratefulness and thankfulness became a part of their lives. And as they watched this, what they saw is those who created that as a particular practice, particularly those who did it in community and did it with some type of religious conviction, is that they found that our worldview improved, our moods improved, our relationships with those around us improved in quality, and the amount of aggravation and anxiety dramatically went on the descent. Science is catching up thousands of years later with what God was telling us through the Apostle Paul. It's almost like God, you know, wired us or something. He created us for what he wanted to accomplish, and so God has given us this. Yet despite the, God, the fact that God has given us this, so many of us experience negativity and upset and anxiety as the norms in our lives. And the reality is that's because it comes when we're far from God. 
Scripture tells us that we all rebel against God. It calls it sin, right? And it says that sometimes we do it intentionally, sometimes we do it unintentionally. And what happens is because of the rebellion in our soul against God, we're in a fight we can't win. And so uncertainty and fear begin to take hold. Now, thankfully, God provided himself for us. Jesus came as God in the flesh to pay the price for our sin by dying after living a perfect life so that if we would put our faith in trust in him, we would receive forgiveness by grace as an unearned gift. And so what God does is he decides to say, I recognize that your rebellion and your sin and the brokenness of this world and my enemy are going against you and your mind and they're bringing the things I do not want into your life. And so I'm going to intervene. And so as Jesus was sent, he accomplished it all and said, now I want you to be with me. And as we come along together, I want you to bring all that hurt and all that pain and all that anxiety to me. And I want you to think about the good things that I have done. And as you do that, I want to help put you back together. And so the message for all of us who are here and maybe we've never decided to trust God or to look to Jesus is this. You need to stop looking in all the wrong places. I mean, how's it going for you? How's dealing with that anxiety, doing it on your own? I know when I try to deal with it on my own, I'm a mess. So instead, what I need to do is I need to turn to God with a thankful heart, receive his forgiveness, and decide to follow him and what he would have for me. And as he does that, he brings peace into my heart and my soul. And that peace then transcends into a whole bunch of different areas of life as I come back to it time and time again. That's why we can celebrate. That's why we can rejoice, as Paul says, because of this gift that God has given time and time again. And so for us who are followers of Jesus, it just means we need to go back to him time and time again with thankfulness. We need to remember, because Jesus accomplished so much on the cross, there's no problem too big for us to bring to him. He's already dealt with our biggest problem, which is ourselves and our sin and the consequence of death. It's not to trivialize things to say that. I I don't mean that there's not significant problems in our lives. It doesn't mean that there's not massive challenges so many of us are facing. But what it is, is to give a reminder that we need to have the right perspectives. A lot of us think about this idea of rejoicing or having joy really is having this feeling of happiness. And that's what we're always chasing after. And we're always going, well, I just want to feel in a good mood because of something I get. And again, science has proven this time and time again will never really get us anywhere. In fact, one of the leading researchers on happiness, a guy named Sean Anker, recently said, he said, the pursuit of happiness is to miss out 
on the greatest thing in life. He said instead what we should be looking for is joy. Warren Wearsby defines joy this way. He says it's inward peace and a sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. It's to know that even though we feel like we're being pulled apart in multiple different directions, that there's a stability that we have in God and then that can help us through anything. This is why Paul said, so what you should do is this. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Because even when circumstances suck and things are hard and there's pain in our lives, there's still always something happening where God's at work, where God's delivering on his promises, where we can find healing and hope and wholeness in him. But we have to look for it. We have to look for it because our brains get so hardwired. There's so much amazing research in neuroscience about how negativity actually rewires our brain to look for more negativity. The more negative thoughts you think, the more negative thoughts you're going to think. That's science. But the opposite is also true. The more positive things you look for and see, the more our brain is trained to look for the positive and good things that we can see. The more we look to God, the more we see him. The more we look for the work of God uh, in our church, in our family, in our community, the easier it is to see it. But instead, what do we do? We look down and we navel gaze and we complain and I'm guilty of this too, right? And we, we just look at the negative and then that's all we see. And so Paul invites us in to something different. He invites us in to come to God, yes, with all those things because there's real problems, there's real challenges, but then he says, come to me also with thankfulness. So this is what I encourage you to do this week if you're facing anxiety, if you're feeling a sense of uncertainty, if you're feeling a sense of unrest with your family, with your job, with the church, with the community, with the world, is to begin to look for the places where there are things that are right, where there are things that are good, and where there are things that are noble and pure, the things of God. Kids, I want your help in this as well. Adults really suck at looking at good stuff. We get so worried by life and we get so down that oftentimes it's easier for us to look at the negative. And I mean, if you guys had to sit in some of our offices, you know you'd be bored too if you've ever visited mom and dad at work, right? And you're so good at helping us to see the amazing wonder of what's going on in the world. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to see a difference in your parents and in your family, encourage your family regularly to look for what is good and what you can be thankful about. Today, when you go home, whether you stay for Sandwich Sunday and you're on the drive home after, or you're going home for lunch, what I want you to do is I want you to ask 
your parents or grandparents or aunt and uncle, whoever you're with, I want you to ask them, where do they see God's goodness? What can they be thankful for? And don't let them stop. Don't let them get out of it. They're going to ask you, well, where do you see God? You can answer and then make them do it too. Help them to be rewired for thankfulness. Help your parents to worry less by helping them to see how good God is. And for all of us adults, let's remember to keep gratitude lists. Take time to think of the things that you're thankful for and write them down. Most of us, our heads are filled with other types of lists. People we have grudges against, things we're upset about, and the things that make us anxious. Instead of just focusing on those lists, let's begin to create a bigger one. One where we write down all the good things that God is doing and let's allow ourselves to be changed in the way God has designed us to view things with greater thankfulness. And don't just take it there. I encourage you to take it to God. That's what Paul's encouragement is here. He says, I want you with all prayer and petition to with thanksgiving to bring these things to God. There's something that comes when we don't just receive it, but we respond to it. When we bless God because of the blessings he's given us, when we thank God out of our place of thankfulness for what we receive, there's something else that happens. That Harvard study also said those who express their thankfulness most experience even more thankfulness. There's something that comes from articulating the thankfulness of the things that God has given you. And so let's continue that. And hopefully we become a people who are infectious. And rather than being a people who are infectious with negativity and hate and jealousy and anger and anxiety, we would be people who would spread hope and gratitude and thankfulness. And would that bleed out from us into the lives of those around us so we continue to see people have a reason to rejoice. Let's give people a reason to be thankful by expressing our thankfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you have done. God, I thank you so much for your presence in our lives, for the work that you are doing in the world. And God, even here today, I want to express thankfulness. I want to th express, Lord, thankfulness to you for the work that you did in the life of Harun and Eden and Anna. God, I thank you for how you have been working in their lives. And God, I thank you how you've been working through their families and Lord, for the two youth, how you've worked through their youth leaders and the, through their friends. And God, I thank you for what you are stirring in all three of their lives. God, I thank you for how each one of them loves people and serves people in different ways and continues to pass on their thankfulness to what you did. So God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the chance that we had to come together today to worship with one another. I thank you that Liz and Juan Carlos and their boys could join us today and that we could celebrate what you're doing in Guatemala. God, I thank you that we can actually just even come to this place of worship and not have fear of persecution and being run out of this place, but instead we can just come and express our thankfulness to you. 
And so God, as we sing this next song back to you, God, I just pray that you would stir up in each one of us a a greater sense of thankfulness, a greater appreciation for who you are and what you've done and would it become infectious through the rest of our lives. And good God, would you help us to pursue this time and time again throughout this week when we forget. We thank you for this and we thank you for who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.